with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Friday edition, and coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have the Friday panel. But first off, it's the Ram and Stag Show this week. It's uh, simply an interview that Nathan Gita did for his other program, Mountain Standard Time, with Chris Elson. Good morning. I'm your host, Nathan Gita, and today we'll be speaking with Chris Elson, who, of course, is an activist fighting for the innocence of our children here in British Columbia and attempting to take out the SOGI curriculum in BC. But first, I have an opening statement. So I think that one of the things we need to be honest about is if we were to try to figure out what's wrong with the world today, uh, the simplest explanation was once given by G.K. Chesterton, what's wrong with the world today? It's me. Um, if everybody followed their conscience accordingly, the world would improve immensely. And every time we excuse our actions, we add to the denigration of our species as well as our civilization. But if we're looking for a conceptual framework, a catch for what is causing so many of our ills, it is hard to do better than fatherlessness. Without a father figure, flawed as he might be, children grow up stunted, often lacking proper self-regulation and respect for boundaries. As they become adolescents and adults, unresolved issues result in a broken sense of self-identity, as well as unhealthy, unstable relationships with their spouses, family, society, and authority. Rebuttals or pearl-clutching on this point are a waste of breath. We all know this is a fact, and we all know it's an epidemic ever since the nuclear family began breaking down throughout the post-war era. I have my own opinion on what occurred there, but let's simply acknowledge that families are in a worse state today than they were probably two generations ago. How I think about myself as a man was very much influenced by my father, who, though not my biological parent, took his role with grace and love. It is not hard for me to imagine how much worse off I would be without his influence, and that absence could have made me quite susceptible to many things. Today, amongst children who are unhappy due to many factors, one of the paths to happiness celebrated in all of our schools is irreversible change to one's gender. Where this agenda has been resisted most strongly is amongst parents who take their role seriously, but especially fathers. The ancient instinct of protection has been activated, and men who have children have begun taking an interest in what goes on in the classroom that they subsidize with their tax dollars. The fight has begun for the most foundational questions we have around children, innocent consents, and what qualifies as medicine. It is a battle of epic paradigms. We're going to learn more about that today, thanks to Chris Elston. Let me simply end by saying that the epidemic of fatherlessness uh, is what got us into this mess. And so it is right and just that fatherhood would get us out. May God help us recover what is a true masculine vocation. We will go to Chris live. Welcome to the program, Chris. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for having me. So let's start right from the very top. How how did you get involved with uh, fighting the SOGI curriculum? And, and where did where did you get your impetus for your activism? Well, it's a bit of a long story, but we have some time today. Yes, we um, do. So I just became really aware of everything that was going on. And it seemed, especially last year, every month, things were getting nuttier and nuttier. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just with what's going on with kids, but with, with what's going on with women. And I have two girls. They're 9 and 11 years old now. And so they're going to be women one day. And... I'm not super happy about the state of things today, but there was a a woman in Scotland named Posey Parker who put up a a sign. She put up a poster outside the train station 
that said, I heart J.K. Rowling, the children's mm-hmm. author, because she's spoken out about these issues affecting kids and women. And it got taken down right away. Censorship, right? So I just thought, well, you know, that that bugged me a lot because when we can't put up a simple sign that says, I heart J.K. Rowling, who's just the greatest children's author probably the world's ever known, who's a lovely woman. And we can't even say that. That's a pretty crazy society. So I just kind of had enough of everything that was going on. And so I put up a billboard in East Vancouver that said the same thing. And I guess somewhat predictably, it got paint-bombed overnight. And then a Vancouver City Councillor named Sarah Kirby-Young said it was hate speech. And... She made some noise to Patterson Outdoor, Jimmy Patterson's company, the sign company. And the very next day on a weekend, they brought in installers to cover the sign up. And so it didn't even last 24 hours. But uh, that was okay because there's something called the Streisand effect. And when people try to censor you, it often results in the message reaching many more people than it otherwise would have done which is exactly what happened. And so there was so much outrage online. I went on Twitter and I said, if you want to do this in your city, I'll help. I'll take the heat. I know a lot of us have to stay anonymous, but I just need help with funding. And so right away, an executive, a woman in Silicon Valley reached out and we ended up, I had to raise some more money. She sent me a decent amount of, a decent chunk of change. And I had to raise some more money from Canadians. And I got that all done that night. And then less than a week later, we had a billboard up in San Francisco. And then another uh, pretty wealthy person, a businessman, reached out from the United States, and we ended up doing digital billboards all across the country, uh, ending in Times Square. did Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, all throughout Utah. I did a separate project where I did the underground, the subway system in Washington, D.C., and finished off that campaign with Times Square. But I didn't want to stop there because, I mean, that's just, those are just some billboards and they make some news for a little while, but then it goes away. And the only way we change this as citizens is to be consistent, persistent, and never stop until we win. Because the other side is never going to stop and they have millions of dollars. We have nothing. I'm not a rich guy. Um, I'm just a regular guy. I drove my kids to school half an hour ago. Got to pick them up later. I'm trying to juggle everything in life and doing all this stuff as well. But we have to consistently speak up. And it's not enough to do it online because online everyone's in their own little echo chamber. And it might feel like you're reaching a lot of people if you get a 1,000 likes on a tweet or something, but really it's nothing. This has to be out in the real world, talking to everyday people. So I got some signs made that I wear like a sandwich board. And usually my sign on my front says children cannot consent to puberty blockers. On my back, I usually have one that says children are never born in the wrong body. I have signs that say gender ideology does not belong in schools. I have some J.K. Rowling ones. I made up a new definition of dad, which is a human male who protects his kids from gender ideology. And so I wear that one sometimes. And uh, I just hang out on street corners in downtown Vancouver, and I've been traveling the country as well, and I just go to wherever it's busy, just have conversations with whoever wants to have them. So I just stand there, and if someone asks me what puberty blockers are, I have a conversation. 
and they get educated. And then they go home and hopefully they have that conversation. And then every once in a while events happen and it reaches several thousand or several hundred thousand or several million people like what happened after I got attacked in Montreal. Um, I guess most people watching this probably won't know, but I was in Montreal six weeks ago and five people, four men and a woman, I'm told. Uh, the police tell me it's five people. They reviewed footage and they uh, jumped me and I got punched in the face, punched in the back of the head, got my signs ripped off me, lost my body cam. As I was backing away, a guy picked up a large traffic cone, which I wasn't that worried about because it's just a traffic cone, but the base is pretty thick, I guess, and he kept swinging it at me, and I kept locking it with my left forearm, and one of those blows broke my my ulna. So it's doing fine now. I'm getting my strength back, but it's a crazy world out there when you can't even advocate for protecting kids who are being prescribed an off-label drug that was originally designed to treat prostate cancer and has never had any clinical trials done uh, for the purpose that it's being used. So to answer your original question, sorry, I got sidetracked. Uh, what spurred me on to do this? I have girls, and I just am getting older. I looked around at the world, and I thought, who is going to go out onto the streets and try to spread awareness with the broader populace. And the answer that came back to me was nobody. So I just felt like I then had to do it. So that's what I'm doing. It's inspiring. It's an inspiring. And, uh, well, honestly, it, it, it sounds like a calling out, not a calling out of yourself, but a, you know, yeah. being brought out of something and being brought into the, into the greater narrative of things. It's, it's kind of biblical, actually. It's pretty brilliant. I, I think that to the point of starting those conversations, uh, people, people today don't converse. Uh, what's your conversation? What, what have they been like? What has it been like to kind of break that fourth wall with everybody is living in their echo chamber? What, what, what has that been like to reach out and, and try to bring people on side? Uh, boy, well, it's fun. I've been arrested twice. I've had tons of abuse, death threats, all that sort of stuff, but. I don't focus on that stuff because that's all just noise. You know, we, we focus way too much on the scary things. Um, it's important to know that that stuff's out there, I guess. But the vast, overwhelming majority of people are completely and utterly 100% supportive. Eight, nine out of ten people that I talk to, even in Vancouver, downtown Vancouver, which is a pretty woke city, they're very supportive. It's just that the people who are against this are very vocal and very angry and very emotional. They don't know how to talk. They can't carry a conversation. All they can do is yell and scream and swear. But they're just inconsequential. It doesn't matter. What matters is that we get this message out to uh, just the regular people and especially parents because parents simply don't know what is being taught to our kids in school. They have no idea. In 2000. I guess it was 2016 when this legislation passed to introduce SOGI 123 into our schools in British Columbia. The government forced it through first, second, and third reading all in an afternoon. There was no debate about this. There was no consultation with parents. They just snuck it through. And then they funded this company called the ARC Foundation, which put all these materials together. And like we've seen with this father that's sitting in jail right now, this has 
real world consequences because the daughter of this father who's now sitting in jail because he refused to stop speaking out about the harm coming to his kid. The daughter was a student in the Delta School District. Delta is the first district that started off with SOGI 123. They were part of the pilot program. And the very first year, because of school teachings, this girl decided to transition to being a boy, which of course is an impossibility and brings with it irreversible damage when they start medicalizing themselves. But that's what this school curriculum is now doing. It's brainwashing, it's indoctrinating, it's confusing children. And there are, is no shortage of therapists out there, of endocrinologists, of woke people who are all in on this ideology and will just affirm the children only. There's no other condition in life where we let children self-diagnose with a serious medical con condition and then go on to a medical pathway of self-harm. Yet that's what all of our clinicians are now promoting as best practice for these children. It's totally nuts. That's part one of this week's Ram and Stag. We'll have part two in a moment here on After Nine. Featuring the latest songs from artists in Canada and from around the world. Hosted by DJs from coast to coast to coast. 30 minutes of Canada's newest music downloaded exclusively from the Earshot's digital distribution system. For more information about the show, check out earshot-distro.ca. Listen up, Canada. This is your show on your station. Canada's Earshot Daily. Earshot Daily, weekday nights at 1125 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Vantage Point's Youth Leadership is presenting a free mix-and-mingle Zoom meeting on Thursday, May 6th. Not-for-profit professionals aged 18 to 35 are invited to take part in the discussion on the value of joining a board. Joining a board can be an incredibly enriching experience and is a great way to bolster your resume. Find out more during the free Zoom meeting. The value of joining a board, Thursday, May 6th from 4 to 5.30. Full details and registration are available through the vantagepoint.ca. Our province-wide confidential seniors abuse and information line is a safe place for older adults and those who care about them to talk to a trained intake worker about abuse or mistreatment and receive information and support about issues that impact the health and well-being of an older adult. For more information, call the Seniors Abuse and Information Line at 1-866-437-437. 1940, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Closed on statutory holidays. Forecast for Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 60% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Winds in the southwest at 30 gusting to 50 and a high of 13. Mainly cloudy tonight, southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 3. For Saturday, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 12. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. As promised, here is the second part of this week's Ram and Stag. A lot of people say that it, that it started with the philosophical breakdown of thinking that, you know, obviously gender and sex were directly connected. There's no question that, of course, there can be dysphoria between those things. I, I, this has been an ongoing discussion in, in theology and philosophy for years, especially when it comes to the question of men, because unlike women, their biological change through adolescence doesn't just kind of nescent 
necessarily inherently give them purpose. It, it, it becoming a man is is not just a cultural trope. It's something that is actually psychologically and biologically true. In in the sense that you know, just because you can now procreate doesn't mean that you are you're ready for procreation. Um, with with kind of what's happened and what you've observed, do you think that do you think that a lot of this is is just misplaced angst around purpose, around happiness? Is it, it, it what are what are people doing this for? Is it just all about power of this agenda, or is there some kind of legitimate question that has been twisted and directed the wrong way? So going back in time, activists have been lying. And they've been really successful. This is a propaganda battle that they won. And so now we have to push back and we have to play catch up because they've gotten their lies into all of our governments and our institutions. So if we go back in time and you want to look at the genesis of some of this, a lot of it stems from just a few really rich white men who themselves as adults trans now call themselves trans women. They're trans-identified males. There's a billionaire named Martin Rothblatt who started XM Sirius Radio and has done a bunch of pharmaceutical stuff and other things. Probably a really smart person, but totally into this ideology. Martin Rothblatt is what we would call a transhumanist. Martin Rothblatt is married to a woman and has had a robot made in the image of his wife, and it's his end goal one day to upload her consciousness into this robot because he essentially believes that we as humans can live forever. So we get into this religious aspect where these people believe that this is just a shell and we are essentially a soul, but we're a gendered soul. It's our inside that really counts, right? There's, there's nothing scientific to this whatsoever. It's totally an ideology. Uh, so Martin Rothblatt has funded a lot of things. Another trans woman named Jennifer Pritzker, um, another billionaire who is an heir to the Hyatt hotel chain, I believe. Uh, this person splashes money around to gender clinics and hospitals around the world. Jennifer Pritzker funded the only chair in transgender studies right here in BC at the University of Victoria. So gave them a few million dollars. They now have a chair in transgender studies. If you go over to Victoria, you can see it reflected on the streets. It's absolutely insane over there. This ideology has completely taken hold. Um, they funded this organization and helped to create it called WPATH, which is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which lays down standards of care and in that, though, it's full of um, fallacies, like just false statements. And just through their activism they and their money, and of course money in the pharmaceutical industry, the pharmaceutical companies are behind this too, there's billions of dollars in this, um, they started to make headway, and they were forming roots underground for a really long time to get their foundation and we've seen this thing really take off the last few years, but those roots were forming for a couple of decades beforehand. And it's gotten to the point now where they could die tomorrow and it wouldn't matter because this thing is now being pushed by all of our governments. And 
also by all these different LGBT groups. I say the T kind of separate because it should be separate because LGB is based on your sexuality. The T isn't about that. It's about this pseudo-religion, this gender ideology. And so when gay rights were run, were won, which I'm very happy they were, there were all these organizations under the LGBT umbrella with all of this money, and that money started to pour into the transgender lobby. And so there's a lot of money behind this. And the only people fighting back against it are just regular citizens like myself and like a lot of women online and more and more men are getting involved now, but um, everyone's too afraid to speak out because as we've seen, this lobby is so powerful that people get fired from their jobs just for stating that they believe in biological sex. No, it's, it's a genuinely scary thing. It's a genuinely scary thing. Um, we are we are having a very long conversation today, and that's good. And I'm, that's a way that we should do these things because people need to be eased into this stuff so they can understand it fully. And it's it's also good to be having this conversation because more people can view it all at once, and more people will view it, of course, as we move forward, uh, as they play it again on YouTube or Facebook, wherever we are. Again, I'm speaking with Chris Elson, and we are talking about the SOGI curriculum in British Columbia and what effect that's having on children today and how we might fight it. We have a comment from one of our uh, viewers, and that's Isabel Oliver, and she is asking us, what is SOGI? Can you talk about the curriculum, uh, what the curriculum actually is? So, Chris, why don't you walk us through this a little bit? So we we know in general there's, there's this transgender thing going on. We know it's being taught in schools, but what is the core message of SOGI and how did it get here? What does SOGI even stand for? Are you able to bring up websites for people to see? I am. Yeah. If you drop, if you drop them in the chat, I can, okay. I can send, uh, send them over to the producer, and the producer will bring them up and screen share them or Chromecast or whatever it's called. I'm not the okay. tech guy. You don't want me to do tech. Okay. <laughs> One second. I'm gonna bring up my. I have a website page, so I'm gonna put that in the chat here, and then I'll get into this here. So yeah. perfect. Go to billboardchris.com and go to the section in schools. I actually have some of the lesson plans on there. But for SOGI stands for Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. So when we grew up, we had sex education. You learned about the basics of biological sex and how sex works and all that sort of stuff. Today, the focus is on, obviously, sexual orientation. They talk about that. And then there's this entirely different subject now, different than what we had when we were growing up. Yeah, let's stop right there, Nathan. I'll get into that one in a second, uh, where we talk about gender identity. And so gender identity is essentially being taught that it's your true inner self, that it's how you feel inside. And this is totally based on stereotypes. So if a girl is a tomboy and does what we traditionally consider to be stereotypically masculine things, we are now teaching these children that they are actual boys. This sounds crazy, but it's true. And they believe it, Nathan. This is the thing. On Twitter just yesterday, I'll read this in a second, but there's a a text message conversation from a 12-year-old girl to her therapist that I shared. And this is a girl who's just having a bit of a tough time. She was really happy when she was 11. Now she's 12. She's not. And she thinks she's a boy. 
And the therapist, this girl's clearly confused, but the therapist is pushing it on her that she's actually a boy because she has a boy brain and a boy heart. It's a cult. And the brain is a fragile thing. It's easily manipulated. And once an idea gets in these kids' heads, it's really hard to get it out. So at the very least, parents need to get informed and they need to have these discussions with their kids. And they need to tell the school that they're not okay with their kids being taught this gender stuff. Because it's lies. It's not about not being inclusive and not being kind. It's not about being against gender nonconformity or anything like that. They are lying to our children. And kids are coming to harm. And it could very well be your child, honestly. Because this is the same story repeating every time. And and I hope that people do get informed and that they visit your website again, uh, billboardchris.com. You can follow Chris Elston on Twitter as well. At, at Christoph Elston, Christoph with a PH. But just go to the website. The Twitter link is there. All my tweets are on the website too. So you don't have to go on Twitter. You can just look at my tweets. And uh, support him if you can and stand in solidarity if you can. If you see him uh, in your neighborhood, uh, maybe go up to him, give him an encouraging word if you believe in the work he's doing and, and take a stand for a time and uh, see if we can't change the world together. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Nathan. I appreciate it. We'll be having Chris back on at, at another time. I'm sure we'll get some updates from him and I'm very thankful to have him. That's this week's edition of Ram and Stag here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Stay tuned. We have the Friday panel coming up in a moment. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is Equip Yourself, Knowledge and Skills to Help Get the Support You Need next Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information about dementia at alzbc.org. Massage Place Stadium is open for the 2021 season, and it's full of all-new upgrades. The latest upgrades include a brand-new 176-square-foot scoreboard with LED display and new sound system, new countdown timers, and enhanced LED field lighting. The track is available for public walking and running from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m seven days a week except when the facility is booked by a user group the track schedule and more information on the stadium are available at princegeorge.ca slash place advocate life and education services are hiring a special assistant to executive director jared white the role is instrumental in ensuring the organized and effective oversight of advocates various departments so the society can continue its trajectory of growth and excellence The ideal candidate is enthusiastic about our cause and has experience as an executive assistant. Full details are available through the R work link at advocate, that's A-D-V-O-K-A-T-E dot C-A. The application deadline for the position of special assistant to the executive director is today. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is recruiting volunteer committee members for their annual IG Wealth Management Walk for Alzheimer's. This year's walk will take place throughout the month of May, culminating in a virtual celebration on May 30th. If you have the time and are looking for a volunteer role, email volunteer at alzheimerbc.org, call 604-742-4937, or visit the special events volunteer section of the Alzheimer's Society of BC website at alzbc.org slash event volunteer. 
Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And it is the Friday panel. Nathan Gita unavailable this morning, so I'll uh, sit in the host chair and we'll talk with Art Betke, Eric Allen, Herb Martin, and Peter Ewart, our normal panelists, or our usual panelists, I guess I should say. And we're going to talk about uh, things that are international, then uh, provincial, and then we'll finish with a local topic. The uh, first topic for discussion is uh, a study that was released by MIT that says staying six feet apart indoors does almost nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19. Bit of a shocker. Uh, we'll start with uh, Herb Martin. Uh, have you heard of this story, and what's your take on this? Well, I, I read it, but, um, I mean, it said all things being equal. Uh, so, you know, basically they said the ventilation was the most important uh, aspect of that. So I don't think it's um, any indication to stop wearing masks indoors. It's just uh, maybe it's not as important as we thought, but it's still it's still a necessary thing to do. And um, uh, you're going to have a better chance of not getting COVID if you're wearing a mask. Uh, and if you're in a well-ventilated place, even better. So... Yeah, I, I, you know, you got to take these things with a grain of salt and um, and and use common sense. Uh, Peter, your thoughts on the uh, on the article? Uh, yeah, no, I thought the article was very interesting. Like, uh, I think um, you know, part of the problem is is that uh, a lot of policy in, in regards to this uh, pandemic have been based on uh, you know previous theory, right? And that theory was that uh, uh, the main way that you spread uh, the virus is through uh, uh, people uh, exuding heavier droplets, right, which fall to the ground, uh, you know, before six feet or up. But now what they're finding, of course, is that uh, uh, the actual vector for, for passing the virus on is, it comes from aerosol uh, droplets, right, which are very small and can sit in the air for long periods of time. So... What this means then is that um, well, the whole question like of, uh, of six feet apart, like you can, uh, they've done studies there where they found, they put uh, people in, or people have been in classrooms and so on, and they found that in a very short period of time, uh, people can get infected. So what this means in terms of policy is that, uh, as Herb says, uh, you know, the whole issue of ventilation, uh, the whole issue of wearing masks indoors, are are very important and um you know the, the this old dogma that uh, it only gets spread through uh, these heavier droplets and um and all that's associated with that uh you know gets sort of put aside and, and that's the nature of science you know looking at the evidence and uh and moving on you know because we're, this is going to happen in the future and we need to get the best practices and learn from what's happened so far Art, what what did you uh, take away from the article? Oh, I figured it made a lot of sense. Um, You get any kind of smell happening, um, like uh, cooking smells or perfume or anything like that. It spreads a long ways in a short distance. You know, you're, you start cooking bacon and you can fry it down or smell it down in the in the bedroom uh, from the kitchen, and you know, time to get up because there's bacon cooking. It. It's, it makes only sense that uh, if there's any uh, virus pathogens floating around in, in the air, it's going to spread just as much. 
So six feet apart, yeah, that makes no difference at all. And uh, as for masks, there's also studies, as, as one medical expert uh, put it, uh, wearing a mask is like uh, throwing a handful of gravel at a chain link fence. You know, some of it will bounce back, but a lot will get through. The virus is completely minuscule, almost infinitesimally small compared to a, a water droplet. And uh, the masks do not stop it. Uh, so it, it really doesn't make all that much difference wearing the mask either. Being indoors is the, the biggest thing. If there's a lot of people indoors, uh, that's where it's going to spread. And uh, you know, we have all these regulations now that want to prevent people from leaving their homes and stay them indoors. Well, you know, I don't think that's going to help. Eric, your thoughts? Well, I mean, there was an interesting article. I kind of wondered about that six feet uh, distance. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a small price to pay to wear a mask. I mean, why not air? on the side of safety rather than take a chance. This, You know, I've said right from the get-go, this is not some gamble you want to take and lose because the price that you pay for that is pretty heavy. There's a chap, I read an article the other day, and, uh, you know, he did all the precautions and everything for over a year, and then his family and some of their relatives went to the park and met or something, and seven out of the 20 or something ended up getting COVID, you know? After all, he doing all the precautions and everything, he let the let his guard down for a few minutes, and bang, he's got it. So we just don't know where this thing is, and it's floating around in the air. Some maybe gets through your mask, some maybe doesn't. Maybe it stops some, maybe it doesn't others. There's all sorts of things that is coming up, and they're finding new as they go along. But uh, you know, one that they don't talk about very much is flushing toilets. You know, this uh, virus gets into the uh, toilet, you flush it, it flies off into all over in the room in the, in the toilet. That guy leaves, if it's a public toilet, you walk in there, you walk right into it. You know, nobody ever talks about that very much, but that's what happens. Then another guy comes in and he turns on that uh, blow dryer and he blows it all over again. You know, there's, there's so many variables that can happen. So I think outside walking with people three, four feet apart, I don't think that's a problem. In a, in a closed environment, and depending on the ventilation, like Peter said, that's that's a different story entirely. But uh, anyway, it's not something that uh, you want to take any chances with. One thing I took away from the article was the fact that it, it sort of indicated that every situation is different. Is this uh, something that perhaps uh, governing bodies should be looking at moving forward, that uh, it's not uh, not necessarily painting everyone with the same brush? Different buildings have different circulation, and perhaps the science of that is is uh, the direction we should be uh, going in. Uh, Herb, what do you think? Yeah, there's there's a cost to increasing ventilation in buildings, especially where we live in the winter. Uh, if you're ventilating areas, um, unless you've got air to air heat exchangers, you're going to be um, heating those areas. Uh, it's going to cost a lot more to heat those areas. So there's a cost, and people have to be aware of that. Um, um, you know, that's, um, it's, it's, uh, there's, um, yeah, it's, it's something we might have to look at. We might have to rejig the housing standards and up the ventilation rates. But, I mean, it, you know, if you live in an old house and you can open windows, uh, you're, you're better off at the moment. That's for sure. 
Okay, my thought was, uh, should we be applying this science to existing structures? Uh, our building is different than the building a block away, et cetera, et cetera. Is that something that uh, the governing bodies should be uh, looking to when they're deciding how many people can occupy a building and uh, what the different uh, uh, protocols are? Uh, Peter, your thoughts? I, I believe very much in that, right, you know, because... Uh each uh, building and facility is, uh, operates in a different way and traps air in different ways. You know, even vents, uh, even air through the vents can, they're finding, can pass, pass on the virus. And the reason why I think this is important is that uh, this COVID-19 is, uh, is a f- part of a family of viruses uh, that um, some of which are, have a very high death rate. Um, COVID-19, relatively speaking, doesn't have as high a death rate. It's very infectious. But in the future, you know, we could be dealing with, uh, you know, highly deadly viruses uh, that uh, could sweep through countries, right? And so um, we have to have a, a, a re-look at uh, ventilation systems and, and how things are spaced within, uh, you know, the meatpacking places and uh, and other cruise ships and so on. So there has to be, a, I believe, a, a re-evaluation of this whole thing, not just for COVID-19, but for anything that comes along in the future. That's a good point. Uh, Art, is uh, uh, we're kind of uh, at the tail end. We're thinking of the COVID-19 pandemic. Is the information in this study worth pursuing to prepare for uh, whatever comes down the road next? Oh... I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, you can't analyze the ventilation system and the air circulation in every single building in, in the world. It, it just can't be done. Um, and, you know, that can change from day to day. And, you know, modern buildings, are they going to be worse than old buildings? In the modern houses, they're pretty much airtight. Uh, the old ones, they leaked a lot, uh, but uh, because of the new standards for uh, retaining heat suddenly everything's sealed up so that just makes it worse so uh boy i i don't i i, I don't think that's going to fly eric final thoughts yeah and i i don't know that seems to be a going to extremes to try to keep this stuff out of every building or something the problem that we have is that we're still learning about it we're still finding different things that are happening that we weren't aware of we're finding out that our vaccine really just helps us uh, to get sick less than uh, if we didn't have it or d- not die as opposed to dying. So, and, and we have to get that second booster shot in order to make sure the first one. And, and then we don't know after that. I've read things where it says in six months uh, it basically runs out. You've got to start over again. So there's all kinds of things. Like sometimes I have funny thoughts, like maybe I'll just get some uh, petroleum jelly and put it in the east nostril, and these things will get stuck going in, and I'll blow them out myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a solution we haven't uh, addressed. We'll have to look at that closer. Yeah, we haven't looked at that one yet. (laughs) A quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk a little bit about the forest industry here on After 9. The BC Schizophrenia Society has a brand new podcast series shining a light on the voices of mental illness. Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined takes a close look at the reality of serious mental illness and the role we can all play in helping those who live with it lead the most productive lives possible. Full details are available through the education link at bcss.org. 
Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a new podcast series on now through bcss.org. Tourism Prince George has a new brand. Rural Urbanity strikes a balance between outdoor adventure and urban amenities, showing off our authentic, distinctive personality and sense of place. The new branding is more in touch with our urban authenticity and cultural offerings. Downtown entrepreneur and passionate resident Evan Campbell has designed a limited edition t-shirt on sale at tourismpg.shop while supplies last. Check out the story of the design's development on YouTube. Rural Urbandy, a new brand for Prince George. Rising temperatures means rising water. Take time now to prepare your property, home, and family in the event of flooding. Have a grab-and-go kit ready in case you have to leave your home quickly. Pay attention to local media for flood warnings. Keep a safe distance away from fast-flowing water. And prepare personal emergency supply kits for your home, car, and work. Learn more about preparing for possible flooding on the Regional District website. Think ahead and be ready. Visit rdffg.bc.ca today. Forecast for Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today with a 60% chance of showers and the risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon. Winds in the southwest at 30 gusting to 50 and a high of 13. Mainly cloudy tonight, southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 3. For Saturday, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 12. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. I don't know about the price of tea in China, but apparently, according to Facebook posts I've been reading, uh, the price of lumber and wood out there is quite high right now. Uh, Herb, what's going on in the industry? Well, it's really unprecedented. Um, I look back on the historical records of lumber prices, and um, only, uh, what's about uh, 1993, 1994, 2004, 2017, 2018... And um, and uh, 2019, that price has been above $400 uh, a thousand board feet. Now it's over a thousand. So we've never seen that before. It's adding roughly $30,000 to the price of a house uh, being built. Uh, it's quite insane. Um, and there's really been no um, government response to this. Um, we should be taking this opportunity to um, revisit the stumpage uh, um, system we have in B.C., um, you know, we've got major players now that are keeping sawmills shut down. Uh, we need uh, more competition in the in the forest industry, and uh, the NDP are not uh, responding to these market forces. But then again, no one else is. So I don't know where you, where we turn to, but uh, someone's got to you know start uh, looking at this situation. It's it's ridiculous. Peter, your take on the situation. Uh, well, yeah, like, uh, you know, the, you got these uh, prices going up like this, right? It's, it's not necessarily a sign of health. It's a, it can be a sign of a fever of, of sorts, right? And uh, I think it's within the context also that of uh, inflated uh, food prices and, and so on, right? You know, a lot of this is happening because of uh, supply chain backups and, and so on. But, uh, you know, this, uh, this problem, like uh, Herb is talking about there, you know, the, the problem I see is at the provincial level, we don't have leadership, you know, from the provincial government. You know, like they've been talking for a long period of time about, uh, you know, that uh, they're going to get more value out of logs and, and, and so on, right? But uh, we haven't seen, uh, you know, anything that's really concrete or inspires anyone on that front. On the same time, 
you know, while the big companies like uh, Canfor are making huge money in all this, right, you know, we all know what's happening also, that the, they're, they're using that money to buy uh, mills and all this in southern United States and elsewhere. You know, so uh, it's, uh, it's not a, I wouldn't say it's a healthy situation for the forest industry in the, in the province. Art, uh, is it good or bad for us? Oh, it's bad for us at the moment, but it's also good for the people who are working in the forest industry. Uh, employment is pretty secure. Um, it, it, I've heard this, that this is all due to a, a COVID response. A lot of people at home um, couldn't do other things they normally do, so they took on a lot of uh, projects, building projects, uh, renovations and such at home. And then, of course, there, there's an unexplainable housing uh, market right now. It's just incredible, the people who are buying houses and paying outrageous prices for them. And, and it's everywhere. Even here in Prince George, average price of a house, $450,000. That's ridiculous. But that's the way it is. Um, the price is, is high for lumber. Um, you do need to take into consideration um, when, when you look at past prices, uh, inflation, you got to have constant dollars, so I don't know if Herb's uh, research involved that. Um, but this is, it, it's gone up, it will come down. These booms never sus- are sustainable. They always come down. And, uh, you know, the, the, the housing market, uh, I've seen that so many times where it gets uh, inflated way out of reason and then it crashes. And uh, when the housing market crashes, the price of lumber will follow. Um, our stumpage, uh, that's based on the price of lumber. It goes up with the price that insanely high, so the mills are paying an awful lot of money to the government right now in stumpage. That will come down afterwards. And you will hear the mills screaming uh, poverty when uh, because the, the, the stumpage prices... They follow three months behind the lumber prices, so they're going to be paying high stumpage for a while when lumber prices are low. But it's not going to last. It will end. All booms always end. Eric, your thoughts on the whole situation? Yeah, well, the whole forest industry in British Columbia is uh, in disarray, put them mildly. But uh, I've never, in all the years I've been here, ever seen lumber prices that high. And, uh, you know, it's the U.S. market that always drives the lumber price. And sometimes, you know, their housing starts, used to be around uh, 2 million a year, and then they dropped down to just over a million, I think, in the late 80s there. And then they went up to, uh, I think, they're around a million and a half or something. So that's kick-starting the American economy. I mean, that, uh, when, when they talk about uh, housing starts, they're talking about everything. You know, your fridges, stoves, rugs, the whole thing that goes into a house. And that's why it drives the economy. But uh, you get to a point where people can't afford to buy. A lot of people are building houses now on spec. They know the price is going up. They build it. They sell it. They pick up 50000 or $100,000 profit. And then they start thinking about building another one. And as long as somebody's out there to buy it, <laughs> that system works. The day when people say, well, no, we're not buying then boom, she'll go down to four hundred and fifty, five hundred dollars a thousand, and somewhere in that area, maybe six hundred. And that's basically where it should be, because certainly you can't afford to build a house in, in uh, with all the other costs attached to it in this town now. And we're, we live in the middle of a forest, 
you know, we got to do it here. I don't think it can be done anywhere. Sounds like a, a bit of a gamble if you're you're wanting to do that these days. Uh, perhaps something that people should put on hold at the at the current uh, point. Uh, we'll take another quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, things going on right here in Prince George in a moment on After 9. Vancouver's longest-running short filmmaking program has six films ready to premiere at the 22nd annual Crazy Eights Gala Saturday. A variety of movie genres from cultural drama to dark comedy have been covered. Each film was produced over the course of eight crazy days. The completed films are being shown Saturday during the first-ever online Crazy Eights Gala. Full details are available at crazyeights.film. The Crazy Eights 2021 Gala Screening, Saturday online. Young people living with mental illness can apply for up to $2,000 to pursue their educational goals with the Yes To Me Scholarship Program. Developed in part by the BC Schizophrenia Society, Yes To Me helps students with schizophrenia cover funds for accredited programs such as high school equivalency, trade and vocational certifications, and bachelor and graduate degrees. Full details are available through the support link at bcss.org. The Yes To Me Scholarship Program from the BC Schizophrenia Society. Fall semester application deadline is August the 1st. The YMCA of Northern BC is once again celebrating YMCA Healthy Kids Day presented by Canadian Tire. Due to COVID, this year participants will receive a take-home event through a free special edition YMCA Healthy Kids magazine, which includes free passes, recipes, mindfulness activities, physical literacy assessment, and get active bingo with a chance to win a Nintendo Switch. The magazine will be available on Sunday from 11 to 2. The YMCA Healthy Kids Day, Sunday from your YMCA of Northern BC. Effective May 6th, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada will begin accepting applications for temporary workers in health care, temporary workers and other selected essential occupations, and international students who graduated from a Canadian institution. Applications will be accepted through November 5th or until the current limit has been reached. Intake streams for French-speaking or bilingual candidates have also been launched. Full details are available through the Immigration and Citizenship link at Canada.ca. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And we turn to local politics. Uh, A few days ago, Council or uh, City of Prince George uh, put out a media release, uh, the headline... Council approves review of city capital project management process. Uh, we'll start again with Herb. Your thoughts on uh, what they're doing and, and how they're doing. Well, it, it kind of seems similar to what they did with Kathleen Soltis. They're sort of um, uh, uh, offloading the responsibility uh, to, uh, to a third party. And, um, you know, it, it's sort of handy for them to... Uh, to avoid some some hard uh, decisions, perhaps, and uh, and taking responsibility, but um, perhaps this will be a little more uh, uh, of an open book than Kathleen the, the Kathleen Soltis uh, situation. So, you know, I'm I'm guardedly optimistic. Let's let's see what happens. Uh, Peter, your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I believe that it is necessary to have this uh, review. Uh, and to aim to establish a project manage, management framework that can be uh, utilized in the future. There has to be, of course, uh, I think as Terry McConaughey said in uh, the council meeting there, there has to be buy-in. There has to be a will to do it. Like, it, it, you know, you can put together a report and review and so on, and it can sit on a, 
on a shelf or it can be uh, utilized. And uh, I really think that, um, you know, this whole problem with the parkade and the over-budgeting and all this, you know, like is a, you know, shows uh, the importance of transparency and accountability to be built into uh, projects as they, as they go along. So uh, hopefully coming out of this, there will be a, a usable framework that can be adhered to, uh, especially in this, uh, you know, when we look at these P3 projects, public-private uh, uh, partnerships, uh, pro- projects, you really need uh, very clear transparency and accountability. Otherwise, you end up in uh, in messes. Art, are we heading in the right direction here? Oh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know that uh, this thing is necessary. Um, there's quite often uh, a lot of unforeseen problems that crop up in, in these projects, uh, like the Willow Kale Bridge, uh, which I don't think should have been a city problem anyway. Uh, you... You cannot plan for unforeseen things ahead of time. You can uh, maybe set your budget to uh, reflect the possibility of something like that coming up. But uh, I think the big thing is uh, we we need to change the attitude of the council and the administration of the city that it isn't an open purse. You've got to really get stingy with the money and not jump on every project that you'd love to see. I mean, these are wonderful ideas that they come up with, but uh, we got to start living within our means and uh, start being frugal with the public's money. That's the attitude. That, that's what has to change. And once we get that, then we will be solving the problem. Eric, uh, you agree with that sentiment? Well, <clears throat> I mean, the thing is, we what we know is that... Uh, this process that they're going to go through now and pay $180,000 for to, to see the best way to look after capital projects, that's a bunco uh, uh, way to go. I mean, they've got all that information. Every municipality in, in British Columbia has that information in book form. It gives you step-by-step how to follow this, how to get the best out of the procedures, what to do, who to contact, who to get in for when you need a lawyer, all of it. It's all there. And it was there when this whole thing took place uh, in the last year or so. So to me, that means nobody was paying any attention to it, or very little. And so we end up with this situation, which is just, you know, it's just out of hand. And so now I I read that article, and it says, you know, $180,000, and it should be done by year end. I mean, you know, we're going a year, over a year since this happened, just to get the agreement to have some kind of a process that we're going to follow when we already have a process that we should be following. So I'm inclined to agree with Peter there that maybe this is, uh, or maybe it was Herb, that, uh, you know, this is just a way to divert the attention from the real problem, which is what the hell went on here? What happened? That's what we need to know. And, uh, you know, if we, if, we, if we look at our people at, at City Hall now, the management people, the people that have left, you know, I think there was four of them here since this thing started, and then I think there's a couple more leaving, some taking their uh, retirement or whatever. We got our city clerk who's now an acting city manager, and maybe we're going to get a new city manager. We basically really don't have anybody even running City Hall at the moment, other unless they're doing two jobs and running in circles. And we're going to solve this problem. 
I don't know. I don't feel too good about it. New city manager should be announced soon. Herb, uh, what what are you hoping for from the new city manager? Uh, well, you know, more of more of an open book. I mean, if someone can come along and um, and uh, you know really uh, uh, be open with the public, I think that would be a, a major start. I mean, there's there's just so much secrecy, so many backroom deals, so many you know. Uh, messages uh, that you know were were not on email or you know that were reported conversations. Uh, you know this this has to stop. There has to be uh, some real clear accounting and, and accountability. Okay, so that'll wrap it for this week's show. As we've run out of time, Nathan Gita will be back in the host chair next week for the uh, Friday panel here on After Nine. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, proudly part partnered with local community groups like the Prince George Symphony Orchestra.